This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. I am back. I had a nice relaxing vacation on the island of Oahu, and I am back, though, to help you as usual. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour to answer your finance and investment questions. And that's what's most important here. I'm going to talk about uh, our main focus points, some other topics that are that are top of mind for me. But what's tip top mind is always your question. So I'm excited to hear your calls, which you can make anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888-99 chart. Now, I got a packed podcast today. My focus point is about diversification in a bear market and how to think about the different asset classes that you are holding in different uh, segments of the asset classes. Okay, so uh, you know a lot of a lot is down this year: equities, bonds, etc. And diversification has helped some for for most people. Will help uh, most people because they'll have some exposure to things that aren't quite as down as mu- as much. So we're going to look at uh, those different slices and, and kind of um, hash that out a little bit more. I also want to look at dividend stocks in particular, and how well do they provide shelter in a recession. And then rising interest rates are making the are turning the financial industry kind of upside down. A rising interest rate environment is something most of the uh, finance industry has not dealt with over the past 20, 30 years, and uh, especially the, the recent startups, fintech names. And so we're going to focus on those fintech names and how rising rates are impacting them. And then lastly, shrinking deficits. Our deficit is shrinking, but will that last? So we're going to look at that data as well. So ultimately, I can talk about all of those things, but it's all about you. So I have some voice bank questions to play on TLT as well as LPG, Dorian LPG um, Limited. So we're going to get to those questions and my perspective report as well, which focuses on inflation and not just here, but abroad. So I've got all things planned for this episode. And of course, I'll take your calls live at 888 chart so let's look at the market today. We had a pretty solid down day overall. Pull this up here. There we go. Computer wanted to work. There you go. Uh, SP was down 90 points, a little about two and a quarter percent. And we hit the 200 day moving average middle of last week on the S&P and it bounced right off of it. Now, not a shock. Shouldn't be a shock to, to anyone. Uh, the question is, is this the, is, is the bear market rally over? Uh, and, you know, I'm seeing a lot of traction in the market overall with a uh, pretty decent volume. Uh, now, certainly parts of it is short covering. Uh, and I think people are kind of a little, maybe a little too early to call this the end of the, the bear market rally. Uh, there's 
the sentiment, I'm not seeing that kind of throwing in the towel. Kind of how people threw in the towel in June on sentiment. We haven't thrown in the towel the other way. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to get there, but it's not a clear sign of just risk off that this is going to roll back over. I could easily see this be a modest pullback and then uh, uh, another high in order for us to really shake out all of those shorts and, and, and all the people that are, are betting on this being a bear market rally, which once again could be, um, but I'm not seeing that really in the data uh, so far. Uh, so uh, modest pullback and you're getting, uh, the, the main thing I'm focusing on is how is growth first value doing and growth had been rallying over the past few months compared to value and today it broke back down. So uh, certainly seeing that rotation, if you head over to Morningstar, which is always a good indicator, you can see large cap growth down 2.64%, whereas large cap value only down about 1.5%. So a pretty solid outperformance there on the value side of the market. So uh, that's uh, that's what happened in the market today. You had interest rates uh, a bit higher in the dollar. The dollar continues to just march to new highs, uh, closed at a new 52-week high today, uh, at least the broad, uh, broad basket. And then when it comes to interest rates, the TNX, the 10-year, the, the that popped and closed back above the 3% level today, 3.037 at the close. So back kind of in the middle of this range that we've been in since uh, the beginning of April and between two, two and a half and call it three and a half. And now we're back right in the middle, right at three. So where this kind of ultimately shakes out, I think will be uh, a big big tell to where the market is headed going forward uh, is are we going to break out to uh, higher highs on interest rates and is that is that the market telling you that hey the economy is not that bad the fed's going to continue to tighten uh, and inflation isn't going to come down nearly as fast so uh, certainly watching that and it will be a telltale sign and remember this is the week of jackson hole so the central bankers from around the world are meeting in Jackson Hole, and they're going to have a little bit more um, public uh, meeting or public uh, results uh, or comments, shall we say, uh, on Friday. So there's going to be a lot of rumors and, and bouncing back and forth, but ultimately the fireworks are likely to start on Friday. Now, this is Invest Talk. Let's get back. Let's get to our first listener question now. Hi, Steve or Justin. I just had a question. I was basically looking to make a play for about a year now into the green energy space and or the electric vehicle revolution. And I've sort of zeroed in on Siemens Corporation. They are a big German conglomerate that apparently have branched off and now have several ticker symbols, one being S-M-N-E-Y, which is Siemens Energy, and they do anything from automation to I guess, electrification. And then the other one is GCTAY, which is their wind turbine specific division. Both of those are traded on the OTC market. And a lot of information is just not available from my platform, which in general is a red flag, but they do share the parent company of Siemens, which is a well-established brand that I do believe is a good company, but I'd like your opinion. So if you could tell me anything about some of these offshoots and if you think it's worth maybe putting a bet with the new infrastructure plans and whatnot, I'd love to have your opinion. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Now, Siemens 
energy and there are kind of two different um, versions of this uh, this company and Siemens Energy AG is S-M-N-E-Y. It's the first one you talked about is certainly the bigger one and the one that is uh, most well diversified. They're an engineering tech company. Uh, they develop and provide solutions for industrial applications, power generation, transmission, wind energy technology, uh, and has two segments, gas and power. So they do do some offshore and onshore wind turbine production, uh, as well as uh, help uh, in the oil and gas space as well. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm picking that one because the other one, the Siemens Gamesa renewable energy one, that's only about onshore and offshore wind turbines, which I think has some traction longer term, but uh, I think it's uh, it's one of those areas that in this environment, so you're seeing what's happening in Europe and the fact that so many, so much of their electric grid is dependent on their renewables. And sometimes, guess what? The wind doesn't blow as much. And this is a year where the wind didn't blow as much. And, and clearly, that's confounded their problem, their energy problem. That's why they're relying even more and more on natural gas. And so uh, I think politicians, as you go through this energy crisis, are going to probably pivot away. Uh, not not completely, um, but they're going to they're going to have to get to a point where they invest in base load power because renewables, whether that's wind, whether that's solar, whatever it is, it's almost always going to be intermittent. Meaning sometimes the sun doesn't shine, sometimes the wind doesn't blow, and. That's just not a sustainable situation. You have to have the majority of your energy produced using base load power, meaning reliable power, something you can turn on a switch. It doesn't matter whether what what's happening in the uh, with the weather. You can actually produce power, whether that's coal, whether that's natural gas, whether that's nuclear, whatever it is. Clearly, uh, governments have not invested well enough in this space, uh, and that's creating this problem in Europe, uh, along with what's happening uh, in Russia. Because remember, prices were high, and pro there were problems before the Russian invasion. And this has just made it, you know, far, far worse. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'd rather have the more diversified one that has some exposure to the oil and gas industry. The problem is, is that this has just been in decline since it came public early last year. Was at 40 and change, now it's at 15. So I honestly wouldn't buy either of these, neither of them get me excited. Um, but don't tie yourself too much to the green energy space because I, I think it's uh, overhyped and most of those companies are way too expensive. And I'm going to take a fast break here. Remember, I'm ready to take your questions now. So give Invest Talk a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 
888-99-CHART. things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, I'm calling about, uh, I'm wondering if you're still bullish on uh, Devin, that's DBN. Also, on their dividend, you think that they could keep this up, how they just increased it again? And Dorian, LPG, wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that before I bought a couple hundred shares. I mean, their dividend is just outrageous to me how good that is. So uh, I'll be listening. Thanks a lot. All right. Yeah, I mean, I still like Devin. It's a, certainly an, an aggressive play in the uh, oil and gas space. And you know, the, the sustainability of their dividend is really going to be up to oil prices and whether they can stay high and they can keep production uh, elevated without uh, a lot of new new investment in their uh, in their production. Uh, so I think Devin is still uh, attractive. Um, now, LPG, this is the this is actually a limited partnership and. It looks like the dividend, yeah, the, that dividend is, is unlikely to be sustainable. It's going to be uh, really all over the place, and, and they're making uh, good money right now because of what's happening with with natural gas and being exported from here and uh, to to the rest of the world, mainly Europe, and that's just uh, exploding uh, in volume. Now, longer term, I, you know, that's a it's a more it's a very cyclical business, and if you look at its return on invested capital, return on equity. Uh, typically is not that great, uh, to be honest with you. It peaks in the low teens and it when it goes negative, like in 2018, 19. Um, so this isn't a name I would want to own longer term, um, but near term, as long as natural gas prices there uh, uh, stay up, then I think it'll do fine. Problem is, is, you know, that's a very risky proposition. You know, there could be changes in the, uh, domestic exportation of that uh, when it comes to the White House potentially banning that if uh, prices of natural gas get too high. Uh, obviously, if there's a resolution of uh, what's happening in Ukraine, that certainly could dampen uh, the impact of what's happening uh, with uh, LNG exports and the need for LNG exports. So, you know, it's a very high risk uh, play. Uh, what you really want to focus on here, and, and this is this is one thing I really need people to get their their arms around, is I know it's simple, I know it's basic to look at a dividend yield and think, oh well, that's attractive, that's a high yield, I want to buy that, and I understand that, but I always go back to dividend investing is about investing in a good business, in a sustainable business, in a business that has a track record, uh, isn't that cyclical, uh, as a good balance sheet. All of those things are very important. And so Devin, certainly much more stable than uh, a Dorian LPG. And so I would go with Devin over the other. Now we're heading into a break. Steve P's, they are happy. 
you are with us today, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this story. This, the headline behind this story is diversification in a bear market. And this is important because growth stocks this year are down 21%. At one point, they were down 30%. And if you are only focused on growth stocks, then you're clearly lagging uh, the market and vice versa. If you are only focused on maybe value stocks, uh, you're going to do much, much better. And, uh, you know, but this is this year, last year was a bit of a different story. The year before that was a bit of a different story. So diversification works well in most markets, uh, It lowers your overall volatility, and make sure you don't get caught offside in one asset class or another. I'm sure you can think of probably know some people, maybe it's yourself who went all in on tech stocks and chased the uh, the, the, the growth of your names, uh, in 2020 and 2021 and thought everything was fine and dandy. And then suddenly the market turned and a lot of those names went down 70, 80, 90%. And that's just an example of what can happen when you're too concentrated in one type of asset class or sub asset class. So for example, tech stock, tech companies would be a sub-asset class. Any sector would be a sub-asset class of the broader asset class of equities. Now, during the 2000-2002 bear market, value stocks also held up well. Bonds also did quite well. Why? Because interest rates dropped pretty steadily. But in 2008-9, that bear market, as well as 2020, uh, too, this this recent six six months, called nine months or so, bond stocks, nearly everything went down. And one was a big deflationary shock, which was 08 and 09. The other was a big, you call it inflationary, uh, Fed-induced aggressive monetary tightening. And that just shows you that broad-based sell-offs in assets can be triggered by various types of events. Now, bonds are down about 9% this year, but long term, they still are usually a useful diversification. But in times of higher interest rates, obviously, that's not going to be the case. But down nine is much better than down 21 in the growth side of the market. Now, in other bear markets, the issue is typically a recession. And recessions are good for reducing inflation and rates are typically go down and high quality bonds usually are up. So that's why bonds are historically good diversifiers. Now, going forward this next decade, are they going to be as good of diversifiers? Probably not. Uh, And historically, the longer term bonds, uh, high quality long term bonds, uh, putting on duration, that's what that means, buying TLT, for example, or IEF, those are going to those historically have been good hedges from a deflationary shock of a recession. Okay. Um, But in this environment, you probably want a different type of bond. You want shorter maturity 
So not as much duration risk, two, three, four, five years instead of 10, 15, 20 years. And you also want to take some some uh, credit risk, meaning, hey, if prices in general are going up, you have a lot of inflation, well, it's going to be easier to pay back. So those weaker credits are not going to have uh, the, the, the problem uh, that they will ha- that they usually do in a deflationary environment to pay back their, their debt. Because like I said, prices in general are just higher and it's a lot cheaper and easier to pay back that debt. Now, if you look at the history of the last, uh, say, 15 years, Bonds took the top spot in three of those 15 years. Emerging market stocks, four of those 15 years. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, But obviously, both can be, especially the the emerging market stocks, they can be pretty wild. Some years they do fantastic, other years they do terrible. A lot of that has to do with the dollar, and that brings me to uh, the foreign stocks. And foreign stocks, they kind of bounce around. They're never really the best. They're never really the worst. Why? Because you know the you have to have, you have that level of currency risk that's always going to be there, and so two things have to go in your favor: the prospects of many many different types of uh, economies around the world need to do relatively better than ours, which is fairly rare, and the currencies have to also be outperformers over those given years. So that's why international stocks, while very good diversifiers, are typically not the best in any given year, but they're also not the worst. Okay, so that's why we like foreign exposure. Most people are under allocated to the foreign market, because they don't see they don't chase those returns, because there's typically not that that chase, uh, because it's usually not the best. Now, intermediate term bonds sit, are, are sit at the heart of the bond market. And they tend to be the steadiest performers, uh, even though recently they have not been. Uh, but this is why I would say you don't—you typically don't want super long duration, but you don't want super short duration and not get enough yield. You want intermediate duration, three to ten years, and depending on the inflationary environment, you want to be the on the, the the low side of that or the high side. In a deflationary environment, a low inflationary environment, longer term duration makes sense. In an inflationary environment, that lower duration. Uh, makes sense in that three to, to, to five year kind of range. Um, so that's that's how you have to look at these different asset classes. They all have their merits and it's always good to not put all your buckets, all, all your assets in one bucket and make sure you rebalance, at least on a yearly basis. If something does really well in one year, the odds are that's going to mean revert and vice versa. And so rebalancing consistently is one way to be kind of counter cyclical in that way. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, It's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, 
you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's an Invest Talk Monday. Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. How is your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing volatility? You've got questions. Call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Justin out in Okinawa, Japan. I had a question about TLT as well as gold. I don't have any precious metals and I don't have any bonds in my portfolio at all. And I'm looking at gold and strong support. The dollar's way up. You know, a turn in the dollar. Looks like gold could be in a good position to go ahead and make another run as well as TLT. Inflation has peaked, and TLT is beating down more than the stock market right now, bonds in general. And uh, looking at those two as possible investments here shortly, what do you guys think? I always appreciate your input. Have a great day. Thanks. All right. Now, if I'm picking one or the other, I'm definitely picking gold down here at some major support. And you're right, if the dollar does turn, that's going to give it some nice tailwinds, uh, whereas TLT that's a lot of duration risk for not a whole lot of yield. Uh, the average duration, let me pull this up. Remember, this is the uh, 30 year or 20 plus year treasury bond ETF. And it current yield is only about 2%. Well, I guess the SEC yield is 3%. It's called 3%. Uh, that sounds attractive compared to what we've experienced in the recent past, but that's still very, very low long term. And the average duration, effective maturity is 25.8 years, extremely high duration risk. 
So I absolutely would not be owning TLT. Remember, shorter duration, higher yield, low taking credit risk. This is the exact opposite. You're taking no credit risk because it's the US government. They're going to print dollars. They're going to pay. They're going to pay you back your principal. But you're lending them the money for 25, 26 years, not what you want to be doing uh, at a very low rate of, of interest. So uh, definitely gold, probably good long term here. Uh, TLT, not so much. Thanks for the call. Now, the next and best stock, the story behind this question, how much money should you be saving with every paycheck? The 50-30-20 budgeting rule can help you determine how to a- appropriate your income. And that's tomorrow, and Steve will get to that. But let's now grab an iTunes review question. The Puma 51 says, I've gained 100% on my CWEN investment. I was just wondering what you guys think of this in a foreseeable future. It's only 2% of my portfolio. Probably should have added more position a while back. Should I take some profits now or let it ride? This is Clearwater Energy, and they own, operate, and acquire contracted renewable and conventional generation thermal infrastructure assets. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, let me pull up a little more int- information. This is a company that was, in the recent past, uh, unprofitable, but now is suddenly profitable. They lost $0.10 cents a share uh, in 2019 pre-pandemic, and now they're supposed to make $2.32 this year. Supposed to, earnings supposed to come back down to $1.13 next year. So I wonder why that is. What uh, what What is trend earnings? Clearly, it's not $2. Uh, is it $1? Is it going to trend continually back down to you know, 2018 level of 46 cents, I'd have to really dig into this uh, company. But it's a utility name. uh, And it's paying nice 3.6% dividend yield. Um, Overall, I think it's I think it's fine. Um, But I would really need to know what that that yield is. Uh, or that earn those those trend earnings are longer term. Is this a short term bump or it's something where they put a new asset in place and that's suddenly going to yield a lot uh, a lot higher uh, profits? Is it something to do with um, a, a bill that was passed in order to uh, uh, give them a lot more uh, tax advantage to their their assets, etc.? What is the reason for this big increase in earnings? And if that is sustainable, then you know above a dollar a share at least. Um, per per year, then I would say continue to own it. Um, but this is a name that's uh, I would do it need to do a digging on, and I would have an out. And my out would be the hundred day moving average. If it falls below that, I would probably be out. All right, let's pivot over to dividends because we just had a call earlier about a couple of dividend stocks, and and I touched on it a little bit, but uh, I want to really look into the data because that's what's most important here, and. We've, we may have recession in the future. And so how well did dividend funds, dividend stocks do in recessionary periods? Now, this is, this is huge because it's really hard data on three different types of dividend investing. And there's income generation where you're just buying the highest dividend yields without a whole lot of thought elsewhere. And that's frankly what most amateurs do. They see a 7% yield, they see a 12% yield, they see a, a yield that looks attractive to them, and they fire. And they say, okay, you know, it's a decently solid company, or they're making money, they can probably pay this dividend for, you know, for the foreseeable future. I see no reason why this w- would be a bad stock, right? So they don't do a whole lot of screening, screening on top of that. 
and over long periods. Uh, so, so that's number one. Number two would be growth and income funds. And these are generally following more of a, a road where they, they have some sort of profitability measure that they're screening for. Uh, in order to make sure that this is uh, a company has the long-term sustainability of their business. So they th screen for things like return on equity, return on invested capital, cash flow, you know, the consistency of their dividend. So they have some sort of quality screen that will help them uh, know that they're going to pay the dividend and they're going to continue to grow that over time. So that's growth and income. And then there's dividend growth funds, and they're less concerned about what the what they're yielding today and more concerned about are these companies going to grow over time and thus their dividend over time. Now, on average, dividend growth funds have paid out a trailing 12 month yield of only about 1.3% compared to the high yield group, the income group of 2.4%. But they've attracted pretty much the, the best long term returns. Uh, and especially if you screen for volatility, the dividend growth funds have done much, much better. For example, annualized return of dividend growth from the, the trailing five years, 9.93%. Growth in income, about 9%. And just the income, focus on just the ones with really high healthy dividends, 7.5%. Remember, this is including the dividend. This is including the dividend. Okay. And the, the, the max drawdown on the dividend growth side has been a lot lower as well. Um, so dividend growth strategies in general, long term, are better, better ways to invest. And it just shows you that, uh, like I said earlier in the show, that investing for the highest possible yield is not the best strategy especially if you're worried about a possibility of a recession. Why? Because most of those companies are paying a high yield. They have leveraged balance sheets. Their business is structurally relatively weak. Uh, they oftentimes have um, difficulty um, raising capital and ke keeping capital. And so they need to pay the dividend. Um, many times they're paying a dividend and they're just raising, you know, issuing more shares as well in order to pay that dividend. So there's not that it's kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul in a way. Uh, and so yield should always be a secondary factor. I think it's the simplest way to put it. Too many people have yield as the first factor, the number one factor. And that should never, ever, ever be the case. And the data backs that up. And so it's about quality businesses, that are growing over time. And guess what? That's just investing. That's just investing. That's good, sound, logical, long-term, sustainable investing. What's not long-term and sustainable is simply chasing the highest yields and the data backs that up. Now, I think it's safe to say that nobody wants inflation. And so we're gonna turn to my perspective for this Monday. And I'll look, take a look at the so-called hyperinflation that has affected places like Turkey today. And then I'll compare it to the nightmare scenario of Germany in the 1920s. Now, before I dig into this, I might be worth noting that Citicorp today is predicting that British CPI is set to peak at 18.6% in January, more than nine times the Bank of England's target. And the bank is blaming high energy prices, obviously, because of bad 
government policy throughout the European Union. Now, the inflation rate in America is not good, but hey, if you lived in Turkey, guess what it is? It's almost 80%. And Turkey's inflation for the month of July rose to 79.6% year over year, the highest in 24 years. And it's grip, grappling with high food prices, energy costs, and President Erdogan, long-running unorthodox strategy on monetary policy, meaning he's kept rates low for a long period of time. This time five years ago, it took only 3.5 Turkish liras to buy one US dollar. So that was the exchange rate, 3.5 to 1. Now it's 18 to 1. And so these, these high consumer prices have hit the population of 84 million. There's a lot of people that live in Turkey. And uh, due to the Russian war, high energy prices, food prices, uh, the, the lira is, is weakening. They're printing lira basically to buy their exports and they need more and more of it. And so that's why the lira continues to drop and you, you continue to have this inflation. Now, under Erdogan, they've typically had some pretty strong economic growth, but the last few years have been the opposite. And a lot of it has to do with them just not wanting to raise rates and tighten policy and take the medicine. Sometimes you got to take the medicine. And, and so that's the current situation in Turkey. Now compare that to Germany a hundred years ago. And this is after the end of the world war, uh, end of world war one. Now in November, the revolution uh, in the November revolution of 1918, Kaiser Wilhelm monarchy was overthrown by sailors, soldiers, and workers. They took control of German cities and because they were mad about what's happening with inflation. Now, in early 1922, 160 German marks were equivalent to one US dollar. By November 1923, so a year and a half later, the currency depreciated to four trillion. 200 billion marks to $1. Think about that. From 160 to 1 to 4 trillion 200 billion marks to 1. So, you think inflation is bad? This isn't Weimar Germany. What happens is that where you get hyperinflation is when a a country controls their currency and they don't have the means to means of production for their own economy. They don't have energy. They don't have food. They don't have the bare necessities to for the population. And so they need to go out into the world and go buy those products and services. And they print the dollars or print the currency to do so. And that's what's ha- that happened in Germany, printing the currency to go back to uh, to pay reparations for World War One uh, and, and buy all the things that Germany just didn't produce domestically. Thing happened here in the U.S. What we're lucky is we have a lot of energy, fracking industry, and we have a ton of food. We export our food for the most part. So, and we have a lot of land, a lot of materials that uh, we use for. Um, you know, for, for, for goods and services. And so that's what makes us in a much better standing than a lot of countries, especially Turkey today. Now let's go to Bill and San Rafael looking at CF Industries. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Justin. Of course. Just uh, looking, by- looking at CF Industries. 
Uh, looking to buy, and okay. just want to know your opinion if you think this might be a uh, attractive price level. Uh, they've, they've bought them out a little bit, and it seems like they're making higher highs. Just wanted to get your take on, on timing on this one. Yeah, this is actually a name we hold in our covered call strategy, Equity Home Plus. Um, and we really like the name ma- mainly because of the spread between the price of gas in Europe and here in the U.S., and so the typical way to make that play is through uh, LNG exports. Uh, but a lot of those names are expensive. Their business is highly capital intensive. Their business is not very diversified. Well, CF Industries, it's they've been around for a long time. Uh, their business is pretty consistent. And this is one way to basically export natural gas. It's a different way than LNG. Frankly, in a way, it's more efficient. Uh, why is that? Is because this they make artificial fertilizers, and the main input, two thirds ish of that input, is natural gas. And so you produce that here using ch- much cheaper inputs of natural gas, and you take that and you ship it to Europe, who still needs you know fertilizer, and they don't want to make it themselves because guess what? Their natural gas is too expensive, but. They're making huge profits. They made $1.92 in 2019. Supposed to make $18.60 this year, $14 a share. Next year, it's $105 stock. So they're just printing capital, and they're likely to do that for a while um, until this spread narrows. But it's not for multiple reasons, mainly incompetence within Europe uh, and the ongoing war. Um, and so they haven't pivoted to anything that's sustainable. They have no really alternative than to continue to buy more natural gas because they're shutting down nuclear plants. They, their, their, uh, uh, green, their green transition is obviously uh, not very consistent, uh, very intermittent, as, as, as we talked about earlier. And so I like CF. Uh, it's, very, it's set up very well uh, to just print money in this era of high natural gas prices in Europe. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here each and every weekday is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Steve or Justin, this is Will from the San Francisco Bay Area. I have a question about 3M. I hold some of their stock and maybe you know, maybe you don't know, they have an exchange offer they're making to us to exchange shares of 3M for a company that they own. Okay, it's a split-off subsidy. It's called Garden Spin-Off Company Corporation. One is given the chance to go along with the exchange or not, and I was just curious as to what your thoughts are. Anyway, love your show, and I've been listening a number of years. And based on some of your analysis, I've actually bought some stock, and I'm doing quite well. I'm I'm retired college teacher. You know, my only income is from Social Security and IRAs, 401Ks, teachers' unions, such like that. 
which means I don't get a paycheck. So I kind of depend on the part of my portfolio that deals with buying and selling stock. So you, you offer a very valuable uh, service here. Anyway, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. Well, glad we could help you in some way and uh, could create a sustainable uh, life for yourself in retirement like we do a lot of our, our current clients, even though you aren't a client, at least uh, the show's helping. Now, you're looking at 3M, and they are doing a spinoff, uh, split its healthcare business into separately uh, traded companies. And typically, spinoffs are value accretive, meaning it's good for shareholders. Uh, especially large companies, when you have a large company like 3M, they have a lot of different divisions. They have a ton of revenue. You're talking about a company that does $8.7 billion in revenue per quarter, per quarter. And they have um, industrial tapes, adhesives, medical office products, surveillance, etc. So a lot of those those medical products, they're, they're spinning off. And so what, what happens is people or investors tend to like pure plays, meaning hey, I, I, want a, I want exposure to healthcare. And, you know, does 3M have some healthcare exposure? Sure, but wouldn't I rather own something that is 100% in the healthcare world if I want exposure to healthcare? That's how things happen in the market. And so these spinoffs tend to attract more investors, you know, because instead of investing in a conglomerate, they're now able to to really focus. So I think it's probably a good thing overall. Um, also, there are some, uh, you know, some litigation that's uh, over, it's overhang to 3M stock. And as long as they're also not exposed, these spinoffs are, are, are going to be kind of getting out of the way of what happens with, uh, you know, the, the many, the lawsuits that uh, are kind of hanging over 3M's head. Um, so if I'm, if I'm saying this is a positive or a negative, I think it's a positive for shareholders uh, on this restructuring and this spinoff. So thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch on the interest rate market in fintech, fintech players, especially companies like Upstart. And Upstart was one of the high flyers uh, during the pandemic as price of capital was low. Uh, people wanted to buy a lot of physical goods, electronics. Um, what else? What else do they finance? Electronics. I know there's a bunch of other stuff. Cars, uh, for example. And basically Upstart was using their AI to basically extend loans to people based on other factors in their FICO score. So using AI, so uh, things like where they're living, things like what their education uh, level has been, uh, what type of company they're working for, etc., to extend loans to people that typically don't have that grade of credit. And what they were doing were packaging up these loans and selling them into the market. Uh, but those buyers have kind of dried up as they're looking to take on less credit risk as there's a lot more uncertainty in the marketplace. So banks, credit unions aren't buying them. And so what's happened is upstarts had to kind of keep them the loans on their balance sheet. And the market's not liking that. They're down 80% this year. Uh, they had a high of nearly $400 per share. Now it's at 26. Okay, so it just shows you that these newer companies, they can they can talk about changing the world. They can use exciting words like AI, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their business is sustainable or not just a flash in the pan. 
uh, it takes true innovation and oftentimes it takes a while for that to kind of uh, shine through. Company to keep on your watch list, I think, but uh, to, to keep an eye on, but certainly in this environment, they are struggling with many other fintech names that have been extending credit to consumers. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we've officially, oh, we're on our way to 50 million. Excuse me, we're at about 45, 44 and a half million mark now. And this is all thanks to you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.